and his glory. And what a wonderful name it is. Amen. And uh, my heart's full. We had our men's conference the past two days on Friday evening and Saturday. And um, I know a few of you weren't able to be there, but I really feel the guys that were there, it's like one of the best ones we've ever had. I don't know what it was. And uh, not because you guys weren't there. I missed you guys. You guys would have put it over the top. We probably couldn't have handled it if we had a few of you guys that weren't there there. So that was probably what it was. But it was just, I don't know, the spirit, everything about it. And praise God this morning. And uh, the message this morning, the verses we're looking at, the truth we're seeing in the scriptures today will be a blessing to you if you let it. If you come to church and you're uh, already full of everything else going on in your day and everything else in life, then you probably will miss out this morning on what God has for you. But there's something, these verses are pretty special. We started here in Ephesians just a couple weeks ago. These are the same verses we've been reading now for a few weeks. And yes, we're just going through more of those verses. But if we could get a grip and get a grasp on what God, what these verses really say about what God has done in us, who are we in Christ? The book of Ephesians, it shows us our identity. It shows the fact today, you look at verse number four, and this is where we're going to start this morning, as according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Think about that. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Before he ever said, let there be light, he chose you. Before he ever said, I'm going to take nothing and make something out of it, before he ever breathed life into the dust of the ground, before any of it, he chose you. In Christ Jesus, before it ever even began. So, do you realize that God knew what he was getting when he got us? Before he ever created a thing, he's like, I know what Adam and Eve are going to do in the garden. I know how bad Tristan Cooper's going to be. No, oh, Tristan, sorry about that. He knew each of us before the world ever began. And he chose us in Jesus Christ. A lot of people have issues in life with security and feeling loved and accepted. And you've got to realize something. God chose you. You are somebody to God. You're fearfully, you're wonderfully made, and what a God we have. We look at our text today, and we're going to dive right in. Basically, for the next uh, last service, about 50 minutes, for about 50 minutes or so, we're going to look at some verses and see some things, some powerful things. Basically, going to go from verse number four to verse number six. That's the message this morning. So when we get to the end of verse number six, you're going to think I'm done, and I'm going to go back to the beginning of verse six, and then we'll be done. And you got your notes there. If you don't have an outline, I think they're available in both spots, and there's some verses on there and different things, and it'll be a help to you as we go through. As I mentioned last week, from verse number, um, <coughs> from verse number three through verse number 14, we see an anthem of praise from Paul to God. And as we look at this and as we try and tie things in with it and look at things, today we're going to talk about two different things. Paul praised God for the choices he made, for the choices that God made, and then he praised him for the consequences of the choices that he made. So normally, now we know how life works. There are, we make choices, and there are consequences for the choices we make. You know, if you this morning decide, one of the men for the men's meeting on Friday night, 
he was from another church coming here, and he was on his cell phone trying to figure out and texting, and an officer saw him. Now, let me just say, you choose to text while you drive, you could suffer some consequences. So the officer pulled him over, and as he did that, the guy said, Officer, I'm trying to, find, I'm trying to go to a church meeting. I'm trying to find the address to this church. I've just, and the officer's like, I don't believe you. The officer said, let me see your phone. He saw his phone, and he was trying to get to church. And the officer's like, let's just not do that anymore. And uh, he said, what church are you going to? <laughs> Victory Baptist Church, of course that would be said. <laughs> so watch, watch. Someday I might get pulled over, and they're going to say, what, what church are you with? Victory. We're going to give you a double ticket for that guy. No, I, hopefully that won't happen. But choices we make, there are consequences for them. Some choices when we were younger that we could have made. We're not so good and we suffer some consequences because of them. But let me just help you out this morning. God made some choices. But in the choices he made, there were consequences. But those consequences were for our benefit. And they're our blessing. The consequences are good for us because of it. Let's dive in this morning. Number one, we see his choice. We see God's choice, number one, we see there in verse number four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We see letter A as we go here, we see whom did God choose? The Bible says right here that he chose us. You were chosen by God. You are not an afterthought with God. From the very beginning, from before the foundation of the world, God chose you. You're somebody to God. You're special. You matter. It wasn't just some random thought where one day you were sitting in a service or you were doing these different things, and as you're doing them, you're like, oh, or you're hearing, you're in Sunday school and a teacher talks to you about salvation, and you're like, um, I need Jesus. And she's like, oh, they want to get saved. I'll save them too. No, God knows from the very beginning. You're no afterthought. You're important today. And we see here, whom did he choose? He had chosen us. The word chosen to pick out, to choose for oneself. In spite of knowing who we are and all that we would do, he chose us. Think about that this morning. He knows every little secret about you. He knows everything you've ever done and everything you will do in this life. And he still chose you. What a blessing. We see his choice. Whom did he choose? He chose us. Letter B, when did God choose? He chose before the foundations of the world. Say, well, how did God do all that? How does that all work? There are some people out there that say that God only chooses who can get saved and who can't. Then why is he not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? That doesn't make sense in that light of it doesn't make any sense for god so loved the world he gave his son he didn't so love the chosen ones that he sent his son he loved the world that he sent his son bible tells us in romans chapter number eight verse number 29 says for whom he did foreknow he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be firstborn among many brethren and first peter chapter one verse number two tells us look what it says here elect according to what the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And a lot of times we don't like to talk about 
In churches, we don't like to talk about predestination. We don't like to talk about the word election. But elect is used right there. And you saw predestination, last passage we looked at. They're Bible words. They're not something to be afraid of. It's funny, we as Baptists, we're afraid to use those words because Calvinists use those words. And then we're afraid to use words about the Holy Spirit because Pentecostals use those words when we shouldn't be afraid to use what the Bible says for different things. What you got to understand is so you say, well, how, how did this work? We were elected. We were chosen by God. It says according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God knows everything. Before he ever formed anything, he knew that you would trust him and get saved. That's what the Bible says. It's not that difficult to figure out. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God, from eternity past, before he ever created anything here on earth, before time even began, knew who would trust him and who wouldn't. Salvation, he gives us a choice. Adam and Eve in the garden, God didn't make them eat the fruit. They had a choice. But God knew what they would choose because of his foreknowledge. So you say, so why didn't God make them not eat it? Because God gives man a choice, a free will. That's why. So God in his foreknowledge knew how all these things would play out. So don't let these words, predestination and election, be hard for you. They're pretty easy to understand when you really think about it. And say, so, well, I don't fully get it. Guess what? His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are so much better than our thoughts. You will never fully understand God. Men, you have a better chance of understanding your wife today than you do trying to figure out God. And I don't think you're going to do either one of those today. And we'll just leave it at that. So we see letter A, whom did God choose? He's chosen us. When did he choose before the foundation of the world? Then get this, where did he choose us? The Bible says, in him. We were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Think about that. God sovereignly placed us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, we were in him. When he died, we were in him. When he rose from the dead, we were in him. When God came to us in conviction and we repented and responded in faith, we were baptized into Christ, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and of all... and of and have been all made to drink into one spirit. When you get saved, when you trust Christ as your Savior, we are placed by one spirit in Christ. One body. Talk more about that in a few minutes, and I'll help you understand some things there. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse number 5 and 6, look what it says here. Even when we were dead in sins... So even before we're saved, he hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And look at what it says, and hath raised us up together. So you see at the end of that verse, the end of verse number five, there's a semicolon there. The parentheses are there to add effect. It's explaining how we get saved, how all that works. But if you're looking at this in context of what the verse is saying, it's saying that before you ever got saved, he hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together 
and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You were already in Christ when you were still dead in your sins. Try and figure that one out. It's in Him. What God does in us, how our God chose us. Aren't you grateful today that He chose you? I hope you are. Because the choice that He made for us, Jesus suffered a lot because of that choice that was made for us. He chose us before the foundation of the world in Him. Number two, we see today the consequences of God's choices. The consequences of God's choices. God's purpose in election is to save us from our sins and to redeem us by His grace. And when He does that, it is unchangeable and cannot change. What God purposed in eternity past, He brings to pass in time. One of the things that we will never understand about God, and I'm not going to get deep into this because I'm just going to confuse you and cause you some grief about thing about it. God doesn't live in time like we do. He's in eternity. There is no such thing as time with God. We live in time. God is everywhere. He's the beginning, He's the end, and He's everything in between. Before time ever began, He chose you. Before He ever said, Time's going to begin right here. See, with God, there is no time. He has no beginning. He has no, he's everlasting. We can't fathom that. I was born in 85. And who knows when my expiration date's gonna be. But it's a, we're gonna, that's how life works. We have a beginning, we have an ending. A lot of you lived a lot of your life before I was even born. I know June 19th, 1985 was probably the best day here on earth besides when Jesus died on the cross. But besides, you all had lives before I was here. Life was going on. Life, time didn't change all of a sudden because Brian entered into the world. Time just continues to go. But God's not in time. He's outside of time. It would do us good if we would just meditate and think about God and how awesome he is. He is so good and he's so awesome. But anyways, let's get back to the message this morning. Otherwise, it'll be an hour-long sermon, not 50 minutes. We see the consequences of God's choices. First thing that we see, letter A, we see the saints have been altered. So because he chose us, because he chose before the foundations of the world in him, there are several consequences that take place. The first one we see is the saints have been altered. Look at what it says there in verse number four, that we, who's we? Verse number one talks about the saints, right? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We see it right here. The saints have been altered. Well, what God, God's eternal purpose, his, what he did for us, and as he did this, there are things that happens to the believer because of his choice. Number one, we see we are altered in our practice. We are to be a holy people. That's what the Bible says right here. Think about this. The word holy means a most holy thing. It brings to mind the things of the tabernacle and the temple that were set aside for exclusive use for God himself. When we are saved, we talked about a few weeks ago when we started here, when we get saved, we are all saints. 
A saint is not someone who some pope or some priest prays for after they passed away and they raised to sainthood at some point. That's not how it works. A saint is a saved child of God. The word saint means set apart, a holy thing. When you get saved, and get this with me and stick with me, when you get saved, you become a holy thing to God. Set apart for God and exclusively for Him. None of us in this room are as holy as we should be. And you know that's true. Is there anyone in here, and if you are, I'm going to give you my notes and I'm going to sit down and let you preach the rest of the message. Is there anyone in here who could say this last week, you lived a perfect, holy life before God? The whole week. Raise your hand. And if you did, I want to know. I really would like to know. All right, I'm going to raise my hand on this one. I tried, I think I, think I got a five-minute stretch that I might have. I hope. I try. And we're going to talk about this more in just a second. But this is the thing. We are all sinners. But this is what you've got to remember. When you got saved, the Bible says that we become new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But because we're a new creature, those old things are passed away. But as long as we have this corruptible mortal body, we still have corruption. When we put on immortality and incorruption, we won't sin anymore. As long as we have this flesh, you will sin. So you're like, well, that means I just better not try. That's not what we're saying here this morning. Bible says it pretty clear in this verse, doesn't it? As we're here in verse number four, he says that we should be holy. Holiness is important. You have been set apart and commanded by God himself to live a holy, separated life for him. Bible says, 1 Peter chapter number one, verse 15 and 16, but as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy, look at the rest of the verse, in all manner of conversation. The word conversation here means your lifestyle. Your lifestyle should be a lifestyle of holiness. As verse 16 says, because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We don't like to hear preaching on holiness, but God commands his people to be holy. This is what we need today. We need Christians who will live like saints. You are a saint. Live like it. You are set apart. You are sanctified. You're special to God. So live like it. You belong to God this morning. I belong to God. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are yours. No, they're God's. You belong to God today. Your eyes belong to God. You should be careful what those eyes look at on television. Be careful what Netflix you watch. Be careful what you do with your eyes. Like, oh, pastor is talking about how good God is. Now he's meddling in my life. You're supposed to be holy in your lifestyle. I'm supposed to be. Should we go check your Netflix and see what you viewed recently? Oh, pastor, I wouldn't want you to see that. God's already seen it. 
He's the one who matters. Men, those eyes belong to God. What do you put in your computer screen or on your cell phone? Is it holy? What do you put in your ears? The music you listen to, the words you listen to, the radio you listen to, any whatever the case may be. Is it holy? We're supposed to be holy. We are saints. Christians should live like it. Are you going to mess up? Yes, you are. Are you going to be perfect at it? No, you're not going to be. And those that have the holier-than-thou attitude about them, that's called pride, and that's bad too. But you should live a holy life. You should be striving for it. We all should be. If we're saved and we are His, then we're not what we used to be. We've been radically and fundamentally changed by the power of the Spirit of God. You see, number one, we're altered in our practice. Number two, we're altered in our position. We see there the end of verse number four, and that we should be holy. We see holy there. Look at the rest of it. And without blame before him in love. We're to be holy in our practice. As we live this life, the things that we do, there should be holiness in us. That would also go, Christians, let's just say it as it is. The way you dress, do you dress like a Christian? There should be holiness in what you wear. When people look at your attire, do you look like a Christian? Just a thought. I won't go any further because I'm not getting good looks when I say that, but that's okay. That's okay, I got the Lord with me. And I got a bit, you know I have a big pulpit in case anybody ever brings a tomato, I can just hide right in here and uh, be okay. We're to be holy in our practice, but guess what? The Bible tells us here that in our position with God, we're blameless already. That's a hard one to swallow. Just get this for a minute. Without, we're without blame before him. How many of you know you have blame? You deserve blame. My hand is up. We all deserve blame, right? The Bible says here the word blameless means without blemish, faultless, unblameable. Could you look at yourself this morning and say you're unblameable in every area of your life? Nope. And be glad you're not a pastor. Pastor's supposed to be blameless. And pastor should follow the requirements that God has. There should not be gray areas in a pastor's life that someone can look and see things that they're doing. A pastor should be blameless. And if a pastor disqualifies himself, now he shouldn't be a pastor. And that goes for me as well. I believe that wholeheartedly. But we're not blameless. You know, most of the time, you know, what if I were to tell you this morning, Caroline and I, our marriage is almost perfect, but when it's not, she's always to blame. It's always her fault. <laughs> First off, most of you wouldn't believe that. She's like, oh, Caroline's so sweet. You don't live with her. You don't know the truth. <laughs> I'm going to take a video and let you see something. Oh, she's so sweet. 95% of the time she is. 100% of the time she is. No, I'll tell you this, when we have arguments, and not really, when we have deep discussions, and, you know, and we, don't, we don't raise our voices at one another, she just goes silent on me, and then, and then anyways, but we don't raise our voices, I'm glad, because, you know, anyway, so, where was I going with all that? You're all messing me up by laughing right now, and you, you, you all know, you, 
you're not perfect in your marriages either. But um, I totally lost my train of thought completely. So, oh, yeah, it was, oh, it's my fault. See, she's quick to point that out, right? And so, um, but a lot of times the things that happen, it's my fault. And you ever, you know, ever, let's say marriage, children, anything you want to say there, and uh, you're, you're mad at someone about something, and then as you're mad, you realize, man, I really cannot, it's really me just being dumb right now. It's got nothing to do with the other person. This is me being, and then in your pride, you don't want to apologize and get right about it because only by pride come with contention. Yeah, and that's how it works. But we're, we, there's so much blame that could go on all of us. Blame all of us over and over again. But when we, our position before God, we are blameless. Now, I'm going to tell you why. It's not because of anything you did. And I will explain that in just a second. This word that is used without blame before him in love is the same word that will be used to describe a perfect sacrificial animal. The perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ, same thing. So think about this. We are far from perfect. We all know at our very best we're wicked sinners, right? Prone to fail, prone to sin, And while we may not be perfect in our day-to-day walk, which we're not, get this, the Lord sees us as he made you through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse number 1, the Bible says that they're therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 9 of that same passage tells us Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The word justified means to render or declare one to be righteous, just, or as he ought to be. You and I both know we're not as we ought to be. But in God's eyes, we are how we ought to be. Why? because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at Brian, he doesn't see all the sin of Brian's weak. He sees the fact that he's covered by the righteousness of Christ. That's how I'm blameless. Blameless has nothing to do with you or I. It has to do with his righteousness that's been imputed to us when we got saved. So people say, well then, if I'm blameless, I can live my life and do as I want because in God's eyes I'm blameless. Didn't you see it said that you should be holy before it said you're blameless? Do you see that? Do you understand that? The grace of God and what he's given us, you aren't supposed to frustrate that grace. Should we keep saying, God forbid? No, we need to live clean lives, holy lives before God. But this morning, as we look at this morning, that our position, it's been altered. We're blameless before him. Think about this. In Christ, we are complete. In Jesus, we're secure, headed for glory, not because of what we've done, but because of his perfection, the perfect, finished work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. 
We see letter A, the saints have been altered. Second, another next consequence of his choice to save us. Letter B, the saints have been adopted. The saints have been adopted. Think about that. Not only have the saints of God been altered by the power of grace and salvation, we've been adopted into God's family. Adoption. Such a wonderful thing. I love seeing in, um, people, I love seeing families when they adopt a child and bring it into their family. We've talked about if the Lord later on, we, just, we want more kids that we'd try to adopt. I think it's a very special thing. And I think that you could help a child and do those things. But we look in our world today, and I gave a little political thought last hour, and I'm going to give it to you real quick too. Abortion is wrong, and it's murder. And life begins at conception. But we got another problem in our country too. It should not cost you tens upon tens of thousands of dollars to adopt a child. They need to get rid of that cost and make it easier to adopt a child. Now, there needs to be all sorts of background, and people need to be checked out. You don't, just don't give a child to anybody. I'm all for all of that. But if we have politicians that say they're against abortion, then do something so more babies can be adopted. That's a great thought there. Anyways, that's my two cents, but no one cares about what the pastor in Chino says. So, as we think about our adoption in Christ, number one, we think about the results of our adoption. When you got saved, we were adopted into God's family. The word adoption means to be place, a pl- to place as a son. Adoption's been around in our world for thousands of years. Happened back in Jesus' day. Happened before that time. During Jesus' day, there were some things, Roman rule, some of the Roman rules when it came to adoption, there were three of them. One of them was that an adopted son was adopted permanently. He could not be adopted today and then tomorrow, disinherited tomorrow. That son would always be a son. Aren't you glad that your eternity is secure and God won't ever say, I'm done with you. I don't want you anymore. That's what adoption means. The second thing that, it, that um, the rules were in those days, the adopted son immediately had all the rights of the legitimate son in the new family. And we become heirs with Christ. The third thing is the adopted son completely lost all rights in his old family. The adopted son was to look Upon, he was looked upon as a new person. No old debts and obligations connected with his former family. They were canceled out as if they never existed. And that's exactly what God did for us when Jesus Christ came and when we trust him for salvation. When, think about this, we were instantly adopted into God's family when we trusted him. The text there says, and I love it, the adoption of children. The Bible tells in Romans 8, verse number 15, for we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And you see, that old life, that old, that old family you were a part of, you don't live in that family anymore. Hey, that bondage you had to sin, hey, you haven't received that spirit anymore. That spirit of bondage, it's gone. You've received the spirit this time of adoption, whereby you can cry out to your heavenly Father, and you have a Father this morning. 
Thank God for adoption. Thank God for what he did for us and all these things. And I want you to understand something. We were removed from our old family and placed in Jesus. We were removed from death and from darkness of our past and reborn into the family and into the kingdom of God. So now, through Jesus Christ, we are God's sons and his daughters, and no one can change that. 1 John 3, verse number 2, the Bible tells us, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. Galatians 4, verse number 6, the Bible tells us, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Nothing can change that. You are a child of God today. You've been adopted into his family, and it's forever settled. We see, as we talk about here, being adopted, we see the results of our adoption. Number two, we see the road of our adoption. Now, I said Baptists don't like to talk about the word predestination. Predestinated. Look what it says here. This is Bible. Having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children. That's what the Bible says. Think about with me. Don't let the word predestinated scare you or bother you. It should be a word that fills your heart with praise for the King of Kings and what he's done. This word predestinated means to foreordain, to decide beforehand, to predetermine. Election has to do with the choice of getting saved in these things. But predestination has to do with God's work in time to bring us to faith in Christ. Let's see if another way I can make this a little bit better. Think about it this way. Predestination, and I told you just a second ago the meaning of the word, it means to foreordain, to decide beforehand, to predetermine. God knew in his foreknowledge that we would get saved. And God's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He's predestined us unto the adoption of children. That's what it says. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 29, look at this. For whom he did foreknow. That's who he chose. We know that. But look what he did. He also not only did foreknow these things, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Verse number 30 says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So do you realize sometimes you go through things in life and you're like, God, why are these trials going on in my life? Because God's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. This life is a life where he's conforming us to the image of Christ. And God in his sovereignty will bring trials and bring, the Bible says, let patience have her perfect work that you may be entire, perfect, why nothing. There are times that are going to be hard. Sometimes we're like, God, take this away, but God's may predestine these things to help you become more like Christ. 
Because God's whole goal with it, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll tie this all together, and you'll see in just a second what I'm talking about. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What God is doing and how this is working, and this, let this make sense and let this click in here. Someday in heaven, there's going to be a wedding take place. And this wedding is going to be so backwards from all the weddings we have here on earth. Nowadays, who cares about the groom, right? You know, he just stands up there. The bride, everyone waits for the bride to come in. The bride gets the special music. It's all about the bride has, all, has to get all ready and all these different things. The bride's the special one in the wedding, and it should be that way. I'm glad my bride, was, she is the special one. It's going to be different in that wedding in heaven. That wedding in heaven is going to be all about the groom. Because the groom is Jesus. His bride, the church, his people. And do you know what God's going to do? God's going to do just like what we would do in a wedding. The groom's going to be ready. And God's going to tell Jesus, I've got your bride ready for you. And he's going to present a spotless, blameless bride to Jesus. That's what God predestined in us to conform us to the image of Christ. That's God's plan. Because someday in heaven, he's going to present to Christ the body of Christ, his bride, and it's going to be glorious without spot, without wrinkle. That's what we're talking about here. So God is working in your life to conform you to his son and make you more like him. And when we put on incorruption and immortality, we will be just as he is. Didn't you read that there a little bit ago in 1 John chapter number 3? Because someday God is going to present his son, the perfect bride. God predestined all of that. Whew, what a God, huh? That's why that word, that's a good word. It's not a scary word. It's something you look at and get all worried about. We see here the road to adoption. He predestined us. So God's at work. God was at work before you were ever born to make it all work out. We see number three, we see the realm of our adoption. We go back to our text in Romans chapter number one. Where are we at on time? 12.08. We're doing just fine. So look there, verse number, uh, number five. You're like, Pastor, we're not to verse six yet. We'll get there in a minute. Don't worry. Verse five, having predest predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Look at these three words. By Jesus Christ. When the Son gave his life to redeem his bride from her bondage and sin, the door was open for us to be adopted by the Father. Salvation is the only way possible for us to be redeemed. You're right there in Ephesians 1, look down verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's only through Christ. The death of Christ on the cross made our adoption by the Father a reality. One of the reasons I'm a big King James guy right there, in whom we have redemption, there are three words that some modern versions take out, through his blood. 
And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Through his blood is very important. And so that's another reason why I'm a KJV man. Anyways, point number four, underneath our adoption, reasons for adoption. Why did he adopt us? Well, you see, first of all, look at the end of verse number four, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Look at these two words, in love. God loved us. And because he set his love on us, he redeems us and places us into his family. I'll be the first one to admit to you I cannot fathom and completely understand the love of God. But think about this. There's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse number 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. If he chose you before the foundation of the world, that means forever he's loved you. What love? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. For God so loved the world, but God commendeth his love toward us. But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us. What's the reasons of our adoption? He loves you. And also, look at down at the end of verse number 5. According to the good pleasure of his will. God chose us, redeemed us, and adopted us because it pleased him to do so. Think about that. It pleased him to do so. You know, you enjoy your children and you enjoy making them happy and taking care of them. It pleased God that he could adopt us. And Think about it. He knows every little secret about us. You know, you adopt a child or you adopt a baby. Let's say you adopt a 10-year-old. You don't know everything about that 10-year-old. Oh, but God knew everything about you. He's like, I want you. It pleases me to adopt you. Think about that thought. Thank God they did everything he did. And then we see the saints have been altered, the saints have been adopted, and we're to to let her see. Getting to the end here. The saints have been accepted. Do you know in life, people want, there's a couple things that everybody wants. People want acceptance and love. Isn't that what people want? Everybody wants to be loved and accepted. That's what people are hungry for in this world today. And in Jesus Christ, you're loved and accepted. And what we do is we're looking in all the wrong places today. And our world is messed up in this area. Well, maybe I have to find my true self. Maybe you just need to find God. You are loved and you're accepted in him. Number one, and we're just we're rounding the finish line here in just a minute, the place of our acceptance. We see this verse says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. It simply means that our relationship with Jesus makes us a person acceptable to the Lord. God will never accept anyone on their own merit, and he will not accept anyone based on their religious workings. The Bible tells us our very best, the best we have in us, Isaiah 64, 6, 
The Bible says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our best, the best goodness in us, is filthy rags. I'm not going to give you a description of those rags this morning. But it's really dirty and filthy. And I would tell you this, you would not use it to wipe your table off or anything after it was done. But that's our very best. The Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, and he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You can be the most spiritual, best religious person out there, but without faith, it's sin. That's what the Bible says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Think about this. We realize the fact Jesus Christ is key to it all. He that hath the Son, 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The only difference between any people in this world are the ones who got the Son and the ones who don't. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You don't have anything. We're complete in Him. It's all about Him. The Bible tells us, um, John three thirty six: He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The Son. And then we see lastly this morning, we see the place of our acceptance. Number two, we see the purpose of our acceptance. The beginning of verse number six. The praise of the glory of His grace. Why did God do all of this for us? Why did he put his love on us? Why did he want us to be his children? Why did he choose us? Why did he send Jesus to die for us? Why did God do all the things he's done for sinners like us? Because we're so special. No. He did it to the praise and the glory of his grace. God does everything in salvation. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and and to do of his good pleasure. There are, you think about this, God does everything he does for his own glory. If you look at creation, everything that exists, exists to glorify God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? The only beings, or the only things in God's universe that rebel against God and giving him the glory are fallen angels and sinful men. Fallen angels have all been condemned to judgment already, and they're hopelessly lost forever. Fallen men who repent can get to Christ, and things can be okay, but if you don't, God's wrath will be upon you for eternity. So think about it this way. Before the world was ever formed... God chose a bride for his son. He chose to redeem us from our sins so that he might be glorified through our salvation. God works out the whole plan and no one can take credit for what God has done. He did the choosing, he did the saving, he did the converting, and he does the keeping. You know, the whole idea from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, you can be like God. 
They wanted glory for themselves. Lucifer, I want to be like God. I want to be like the Most High. I will ascend higher than he is. He wanted glory for himself. The Tower of Babel. People want to make a name for themselves. We read the book of Revelation, and we hear about Babylon has fallen, Babylon the Great. Babylon is referring to the world's idea of its humanity and what humanity rising up above God. One world government, that type of thing. All started at the Tower of Babel, Babylon, Babel, same place. Man was trying to make a name for themselves. Man, in the end, is going to be trying to make a name for themselves. Satan's going to be trying to make a name for himself. And then someone's going to come. It'll be his return. When he returns, he won't be a baby in a manger. He'll be riding a white horse. And he will come to rule, to reign, and to conquer. And every knee will bow. And every tongue's going to confess that he is Lord. And he will get the glory that he deserves. But Christian, you should be giving God glory in your life today and what you do. 1 Corinthians 10, is it chapter 10? Verse number 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, look what the Bible says, do all to the glory of God. The men's meeting we had the other day, I had tri-tip. We, we smoked tri-tip. I ate it to the glory of God. Praise God. I drank my Dr. Pepper yesterday to the glory of God. But everything we do, we're supposed to do to the glory of God. When you're at work, do what you do for, to the glory of God. Young people getting ready to start school, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He deserves it. This morning, a lot of wonderful things we see. God made a choice and he chose us. And because of that, our lives have been altered. We should be holy we're blameless before him. We've been adopted into the greatest family on the face of the planet and in the universe. And we've been accepted. What a God, what a Savior. Father, thank you for the time.